Welcome to Cerebronas. I'm Cynthia, and this is a Chiquita sewed on the Supermax prison in Angola, Louisiana. We're usually two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw, critical analysis of the law, current events, and personal politics. Why? Because we want to break down barriers set up by elite institutions and democratize knowledge. So for this Chiquita episode, we are going to talk about the largest maximum security prison in the United States. And with me today is your favorite Lincoln Mitchell from last episode. Yo, 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 what's good? Nice to be back. Welcome back, Lincoln. And I also have the pleasure of having another one of our co-interns here for over the summer in New Orleans, CG Jackson. Hey guys, what's up? CG, do you want to just introduce yourself um, to sure. the audience? Yeah, so my name is CG Jackson. I go to FAMU Law School, HBCU's All Day Stand Up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying New Orleans and hit me up if you're in Orlando. Okay, so we're going to talk about Angola, which we all three just visited, like, what was it, yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, and I think it was a really, really hard visit, and we're all still kind of processing it and trying to make sense of, like, everything we learned and saw. So we really wanted to share this with folks, because most of this information, I don't know about y'all, but I, I didn't know any of this, basically. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was previously a plantation, but um, beyond that, we didn't really know. Full yeah, same as Lincoln. Like, I definitely knew a little bit of the history, but going there and seeing it with your own eyes is completely different. Yeah. Starting with that, I'll give a little bit of its history just so that folks know. So, Angola Supermax State Prison is on the what used to be a, in a plantation, right? So, just like a little bit of history on corrections in Louisiana. In 1835, that's when Louisiana built its first state prison in Baton Rouge which was leased to a private firm to run it. So like the state built it, but like another private company were the ones who actually ran it. And then, so simultaneously while this is happening in the 1830s, Isaac Franklin, who was a slave trader and a planter, he bought the land that would become the Angola prison and he made it into four different plantations. And this is like in the, what is it? Like Northwestern corner of Louisiana, like yeah. almost like on the border with Mississippi. And so he died, Isaac Franklin died in 1846, and it was his widow who joined the plantations in 1880 when she sold them to Samuel James. Okay, so going back to like corrections. In 1869, the lease to run the state prison was given to a former major of the Confederacy, of course, Samuel James. And actually, the James family ran the state prison system for 31 years. I had no idea. That's a That's really crazy. long time for, like, a yeah. family to be... Yeah. Okay, but get this. You're going to love this. So Samuel James, like, in his private capacity, he purchased the 8,000-acre plantation in Angola. And he actually began keeping the incarcerated individuals there because they were, like, leased to the plantation as workers. But it's like he was leasing them to himself. Which is, I whatever. I just so they were leased to the plantation, like how? Yeah. So he, who was in charge of like the state prison system, leased like let like what what we would consider like renting, I guess. Yeah. Like is like the the analogy there. He rented the prisoners, the mm. incarcerated individuals, to himself to work on his plant his for like the plantation. 
And so, and this included children as young as seven years old, like seven years old. And eventually that, like, the plantation Angola would grow to 18,000 acres by 1923. So, like, it started at 8,000, grew to 18,000 acres when the state bought the neighboring plantations. So, And you know that makes a lot of sense because I'm from Virginia and there's, like, tons of plantations, but Angola is huge. So I was wondering, like, how did it become so large? Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's a ton like of... huge. It's really big. Yeah, it's a ton of plantations put together. Uh, so yeah, so that's like how Angola started, and then, but I think like in 1901 things changed, right? Yeah, they definitely did. Um, and what's actually really interesting is hearing you talk about this renting process because you know tests are like, oh, that's just like another name for slavery. Um, but visiting, as you said earlier, CG, just visiting, just really uh, demonstrated how much of a connection there was between Angola's history as a plantation and its present day uh, operations as a prison. Um, because that theme of renting inmates, renting um, you know, humans out to the guards, the wardens, uh, is, is still ongoing today. I, I know, this history just makes it so fucking clear how like prison in Louisiana is just another, it's, a, it's another word for slavery. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, like it all resembles slavery. Yeah. I mean, we can just say the words. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in 1901, the state of Louisiana took over Angola because of the newspaper accounts of the brutally inflicted um, incarcerated individuals. Um, they were housed in Angola's old slave quarters. Their meals were scarce and barely edible when they did come. And prisoners worked 60 to 90 hours per week planting and harvesting cotton, corn, and sugarcane and building the prison levy system. Uh, and even today, um, prisoners work uh, roughly, well, they work five days a week for eight hours a day for, is it two cents? Two cents an hour. Yeah, it's either two or three cents. No, it's two. Yeah, it's two cents. It's still two cents. It's still two cents. And that's after your first three years. Your first three years, there's no pay. Um, and in terms of the work they're doing, they're literally working in fields, growing vegetables, or they're maintaining the golf course in which they cannot play on, but the public and the warden and the guards can play on. Or they're d doing some other operations, such as building, uh, working on the warden's cars. Um, working on employees' cars, herding cattle that they will sell to the general public but they themselves cannot eat. So really it is a, it is a modern day plantation. Um, in 1951, 31 prisoners cut their Achilles, tendon, uh, Achilles tendons as a protest to the hard work and brutality. Uh, the, at the, the conditions at the time, there were four toilets without seats and four showers were shared among 250 men. And still prisoners were loaned as manual laborers to outside businesses. It's interesting when we were at the law uh, law library, one of the gentlemen who was speaking with us referred to the guards as free men. And, and there's a scholarship out there that says that this is not just unique to this one individual. There's common rhetoric on the in the prison uh, that refers to the guards as pre free men. Can you t like can you say a little bit more like what's that significance? Because I I don't know that everybody will know like what what that is referring to. Sure, absolutely. It's a blatant reference to slavery. You had slaves and you had free men. Uh, and I think it's actually interesting because not all the guards are white. So if you look, if you're just looking for that racial lens, it's not. It's clearly there. The majority of the prisoners are black, but they're definitely black guards. Yeah. And so I think the free men is particularly important because in slavery, um, you did have free blacks, and those blacks always weren't were always you know on the team of the the slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think women were also at Angola, right? True. Yeah, and I just like know, I just was doing some research on Angola and I realized how many scandals there have been there. It's ridiculous. So I'll post some of those links on our website so folks can read. 
the different scandals that have happened since. And because Angola has just been known like as the worst prison in yeah. the United States, but now it's actually considered one of the best and most progressive, which we'll discuss a little bit more later. But yeah, there's, it's Angola has a ton of just interesting history. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the I guess fact fun facts about Angola is that a part of the Black Panther Party started there. So everyone hopefully knows about the Black Panther Party. Their original name was. Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. It was a revolutionary party founded in 1966 in Oakland, California. Yes. But we constantly talk about the Black Panthers because <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. so important history, such important history. And so originally it was founded by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, which you guys could Google if you're more interested. But at Angola, they were known as the Angola Three. There was Albert Woodfox, Robert King, and Herman Wallace. And they founded the chapter of the Black Panther Party in 1971 and so this was like really big in history in 1971 you guys got to understand that the black panther party was extremely getting larger and larger and so um this was almost like the uprising at the the attica the attica prison yeah. in new york yeah that's I right i read the book on that it was so good um i'll like i think it's actually one of the recommended books i have up because it's like it's just that there's so much happening like there's in like in prisons in California, there's or a lot of organizing, and then the uprising happens in New York, and so like this also happening here in Louisiana, like it's not, it's part of like history together. You know, they're not isolated. Definitely, and so the um, Black Panther Party, the chapter at Angola, they started a lot of different programs. They organized petitions and hunger strikes to protest segregation and to end the widespread rape and violence. And two of the really important programs they started, um, one was centered around education and the other was centered around um, exercising after each meal. So it's very clear that the Black Panthers definitely wanted the, the people who were incarcerated to be healthy and maybe feel like um, when they get out one day that their education would be better, mm -hmm. hopefully. Um, what do you guys think about that? I, I mean, that's just, like, so consistent with what the Black Panther Party was. Like, they were just so much about the community and protecting the community and helping the community and just giving the services that the government wasn't. So it's just so consistent that they would also have these programs in their chapters in this prison. Yeah, and I can't even imagine how terrified they might have been sometimes, but they still managed to really encourage the other prisons who work there to cut the crops slower and so that it would take more time to get through the work during the day. Yeah, and that's like that's just affecting profit, right? Because they were like they were not a Black Panthers were not capitalists. Exactly, and they were still getting paid two cents back then in 1971, and now they're still getting two cents. So. What's happened in that time? Absolutely nothing, right? Yeah. And so in 1972, Brent Miller, a prison guard, um, and at this time, guys, all of the prison guards were white. Of course, it's 1972. And so he was actually killed in prison. And so Albert Woodfox was the first prisoner to be interrogated, and he was ultimately found guilty, and the jury took less than about an hour to deliberate. And he, he's the individual who's been in solitary confinement for the longest in U.S. history, 43 years. Dang. That's he, just wrong. Yeah, and he was finally released in 2016. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's there's a there's a couple different articles like with interviews yeah. that he just did. But like 43 years in solitary confinement in Angola. Like, 
And for those who don't know, like solitary confinement has been linked to violating true, uh, cruel and unusual punishment, um, which the Constitution prohibits. And also just like by international standards, I, right. I can't remember what it is, but like it's con solitary confinement more than like three days, I think, is considered torture yeah, in yeah. international standards. And like here, someone in the United States who's in solitary confinement yeah. for 43 years, essentially because he got put the blame on him yeah. Yeah. for the death of this white guard. Yeah, the United States definitely violates a lot of the um, charters we have with the United Nations when it comes to our incarceration. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that is a lot of history, but I want to talk a little bit more about like the stuff we saw and learned about when we got there. And I like literally one of the first things the that we were shown was the rodeo. Yeah. So there is a rodeo that happens at the state prison that's open to the public for twenty dollars admission, and all the money. And so this stadium hold, like, can hold 10,000 people. And so 10,000 times $20. And so all that money goes to the general fund. For, I think for all the prisons. I, they don't, I don't think they specify. Statewide? I don't know. Is it statewide? Maybe. I don't think it's just Angola, but maybe. But it's just, this just seems so wrong. It's very disturbing, right? It's almost like a fair, but... Instead of there being like happy like clowns and I guess like people in the town, it's people who are incarcerated having to give out the crafts that they probably worked really hard for and then the profits go directly to the prison. Well, not just that, but it feels like so much like a gladiator show. Yeah, especially with the poker, um, $500 Do you contest. want to explain what that yeah, is? Yeah, so with, the, with that contest, you uh, there's a poker chip between the bull's horns and the prisoner who's able to retrieve the poker chip between the bull's horns wins $500. Uh, and one our tour guide said that you actually have to let the bull hit you first, that way it gets the scent, yeah. such that the bull will be attracted to you so that you have a better shot of grabbing the poker chip. It's yeah. not compulsory, but clearly you get $500 to someone who's making you know, two cents on the hour after working three years of free labor, there's a bit of compulsion there. Yeah, and don't forget that they receive no training with any of the animals. Yeah, none, yeah. none whatsoever. Yeah, so they're just letting these bulls just hit them with, they only have t-shirts on. But they did, she did say that like, no one has died yet. Yeah. But I think that's just really overlooking all the, the, like, All the other harm that's yeah. done to them. Not to, I think it is a very gory and disgusting activity. However, I think from what I've heard, it's not wholly awful because this is a time where families can come and see their inmate. One of the few times where families can come and spend quality time with their loved ones who are incarcerated. Um, the prisoners are also able to, sell, to put their arts and crafts on display. Uh, I and, didn't know that yeah. that, yeah. that was a part of it too. Yeah, so that. it's, it's, that's why it's complicated because it's like clearly you have this, this inhumane. inhumane minstrelsy gladiator contest, but there's enough benefits in there such that uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to any prisoners about this, but from what I've read, the, the, the prisoners aren't all, you know, aren't against it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think it's like really tough. Um, recently, I had the pleasure of meeting Calvin Duncan. And if you guys don't know, Calvin Duncan was incarcerated at Angola for, I think, over 25 years. And now he's free. He's in um, New Orleans living. 
but he had a lot to say about the rodeo and um, one thing he said was that it might it's completely inhumane and for you know the rest of society we think it's disgusting and we want it to end however if we want it to end then we have to find things to replace it because yeah. some of the money they receive like they use to buy like socks and different yeah. things they want so but that's the like and that's the thing with like the world as is it always feels like we're making the choice between like okay well like this program at least it gives some yeah. some incarcerated individual the opportunity to get five hundred dollars and to be able to have that money to buy socks buy food buy things from commissary but it's we shouldn't have to accept that like what we should ha what we should be saying is people should be having enough to buy these things as is there should be humane ways and things that are building on their skills and they shouldn't be paid two cents an hour and so it's like we we only like the positives from this rodeo like they this isn't the only way to get them yeah. and this is by no means the best way to get I mean, them the negatives definitely in my opinion outweigh the positives and like you said like if society as a whole if we wanted it to be better we would there's like tons of nonprofits. There's tons of like, maybe not tons of billionaires out there, but there's tons of people that could easily just give money to these men who are incarcerated, but we're choosing not to. Can I ask what y'all think of the people who go to the rodeo? Because it's like, it's $20 entrance. It's like every Sunday for the month of October. So like, what do you, what do you think of the people that go to watch, not, not to like buy arts and crafts, but like who go to watch men like riding bulls trying to get poker chips between bull from a bull's forehead i mean i definitely think overall we all could agree that these people see men who are incarcerated as um they're not human beings anymore maybe they see them as animals or maybe they still see them as slaves i see it kind of how i see the tour in that i think if you go and you don't engage critically with what you're witnessing and critique what you're witnessing and thinking about how does this change my work and my passions, what I believe about the law and how can I help, not the law necessarily, but whatever your field, um, and how can I help either these individuals or similarly situated individuals, um, I think it's a toxic thing to do. I, so what I mean is that I think if you are going to the rodeo um, and paying this money, which as Cynthia said, I think Cynthia, you said it, it you know, it does go to pay socks. Um, and if some of the prisoners do actually appreciate it and want to put on this performance, then I think that if you're engaging with the experience, it's not wholly awful. I don't know. I, no, yeah, I completely, I, I don't know. <laughs> I would have to disagree at least 70%. <laughs> 70%. <laughs> at least 70%. Yeah, no, I disagree too. Because it just, one, I'm thinking of who's actually going, right? Because like, from New, from New Orleans, it took us two and a half hours to get there. Exactly. Right? So it's not like, people who are just like, I'm here, I'm gonna come in and bring a protest sign, you know, or, or I'm here to be in solidarity. It's people who are like close enough, like Baton Rouge was like an hour out yeah, from there. Yeah. And it's like, it's super close to Mississippi, Tex rural ass Texas, rural ass Mississippi, <laughs> rural ass Louisiana. So I'm thinking of the people who are going there and it's like, let's. this literally is a gladiator show. And like gladiators were slaves. So it just feels like the same exact thing, you know, copy and paste. And I feel like maybe the people who go, they're definitely not thinking about it the way that we are. Yeah. I mean, we're all in law school. Like, the people who go, I'm sure that they're prop, they could be locals, um, they have children, and maybe they just want to take their children to have fun and see a bull. Which is, 
not a good thing, I think, for you to grow up <laughs> no. normalizing. No, I, and I agree with all of that. Like, that's what I was saying. I think the, for those people that are not critically engaging, I, I am critical. But I'm just thinking about, this was something I was thinking about, like, what does it mean for us to go on a tour? Because we still gave money to the institution. Um, and we still looked at inmates. Whether we wanted to or not, we saw inmates. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's a lot of parallels between, um, and at least, honestly, you can make the argument that the tour is worse because the inmates didn't consent to being looked at, whereas the inmates in the, in the rodeo did actually sign up. Yeah. So I, I just think that I'm very critical of the rodeo. I do agree with you, CG, that it should be replaced um, with other sources of funding. But I think that there is a way to engage critically with the experience such that um, you have the bitter and the sweet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still... Maybe I agree more with you now, but, but um, <laughs> so she disagrees with you fifty percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it might be higher than fifty. I'm making it. But um, I mean, Calvin also said that you know the tours are a benefit to Angola. I mean, it's horrible in a sense when you have busloads of tourists that are coming to Angola just to like gawk at the prisoners. But yeah. um, you know, he said that having more people come into Angola actually benefits the inmates because in a sense they are treated better within that time that we're there. You guys know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I think also I wanna just say that we are making a lot of assumptions of like the people who go there and like the people who are seen there and the people who live in rural Mississippi and Louisiana, but I feel like they're generalizations that are backed by statistics and voting patterns. And YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen those but I believe you. And I think Lincoln though the different for me, like, going on the, the tour, and it feels so fucking weird to call it a tour. Like, it just, it's yeah. like, it's so fucking weird. We're not in a museum. Like, these are people, people yeah. who are being treated awful. But for me, what the, the importance of going was to bear witness. It's like, because our taxpayer monies are paying for this, right? Like, we are part of the, fab, like, the society that allows this to happen and that created this and to some degree. And, you know, some people have more responsibility than others, sure, but, like, we're we all have responsibility towards this and so like i feel like we can't just look away like we have to bear witness we have to like see the suffering yeah i don't know we have to act on it we have to act on tell people yeah whatever those things were like oh let's let's make a change we have to actually take steps towards making that change yeah so i I, that for me is a difference So, Lincoln, please do not go to the rodeo. And oh, no, I'm not. I'm not going. I won't even be in New Orleans, but <laughs> I'm not going to the radio. All right. Well, we'll, we'll post some more articles on the rodeo and stuff so folks can read more on that. But, oh, one thing we didn't mention that I thought was just so such a fucking consistent theme throughout Angola history and its present day. So the prisoners were the ones that built the stadium, mm-hmm. and the tour guy told us that at first they were gonna contract it out to like a private company, but that like it was gonna cost them a lot of money and it was gonna take six months. And then with pride, with fucking pride, she was like, the prisoners built the stadium in three days working day and night and it didn't cost us anything. Yeah, how horrible is that? <sighs> for free, they built it technically for free. Three, like yeah. how the, like day and night? Day how and the, night. What the? And there's so many questions that come that arise from that, right? Like, yeah. were they provided water, like, while they were out there yeah. sweating in the heat? You talk you about know? The yeah, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about, like, what we saw of the conditions at Angola. Do you want to, like, so say more on that? On which part? On the w- water, 
Yeah, so I mean, one horrible thing is that, you know, when they, like Lincoln said, they work eight hours a day outside in the heat. And you guys know here in Louisiana, it's hot as shit. I know. We would turn off the AC for this recording, but we would die. Yeah, so. You cannot. Yeah, exactly. And so they're just, they're in the sun eight hours a day, and they're given one cup. And if they forget their cup, they can't drink water for that whole eight hours. I mean, well, the tour guide did say, well, they can put it in whatever they can hold in their hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, bitch really said that. And she chuckled. Like, slipping through their fingers. Exactly. So if if they forget their cup and if they can't borrow one from another, like, friend of theirs, then they go eight hours. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, I was really lightheaded yesterday. It was so hot outside. So Mm -hmm. I don't know... How they could do that every day. And that one, that one woman fainted actually. Yeah, someone yeah. fainted yesterday because of the heat. So, do you want to talk about air conditioning there? Yeah, I mean, so nothing is air conditioned. They have uh, one area that is air conditioned, and that's where they keep. That's where they keep the dogs. Keep the guys. dogs. They keep the dogs in the air conditioning building. And that dormitory uh, is is also air conditioned. There's also three prisoners. Were they on death row? Yeah. There's three prisoners on death row who have air conditioned uh, cells. They brought the case before the Louisiana Supreme Court, I believe. They lost, but they still gave. So because they lost, it wasn't. What did they win? Or did they, I thought they. I thought they, they won. won. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, yeah. My bad. They Which won. is very confusing because they won, but no one well, else can like. Yeah. Receive air conditioning. No, so what I think would happen is so someone sued. Mm-hmm. Two other men on death row also joined the suit. They won, and so the prison had to give them. Uh, air conditioning. I don't know how long ago this decision was, but I'll I'll look this up and I'll post it afterwards. But so I think if the other men also sued, they would also get air conditioning. Mm-hmm. But what happens normally is like if a school sues, right, or someone sues, and the result is this. Yeah. It the system is supposed to work, which to it's supposed to work so that everybody else just falls into compliance. Like you shouldn't have to keep suing in order to get compliance, because the ruling has been found already. But like Angola being Angola, they were just like, well, we're not going to install air conditioning for everybody else, even though it was already found to be like inhumane to not have air conditioning. We're not going to do it for everybody else until somebody else sues. Yeah, we definitely have to look more into that because that just seems crazy to me. Nobody has air conditioning. And like I said, it's. It's just, and I mean, I just, I don't know if you guys can like visualize like working outside for eight hours a day. Say you work, you know, what, nine to five job, right? Yeah. You finish at five o'clock, you're drenched in sweat, you get a shower, who knows how long the shower is, and then you go back to this hot cell and you just sweat for the rest of the night. I mean, yeah. that's real life for a lot of people out there. Yeah. They had uh, one escapee, was it in 2009? Yeah, I think so. They had one escapee in 2009 who escaped from Friday late afternoon to Monday morning, and the guy said when they found him, he was smiling and the guards asked him, why, why are you smiling? And he said that was the most fun he had had in 40 years. Yeah, and they also said that when they found him, um, his feet yeah. were cut up by, I guess, like the, bu- the bushes and just grass and like limbs from the trees that he was running over. And the first thing that came to my mind is like slavery. You know, during 100%. slavery times, um, you know, normally they did not have shoes. Yeah. So most of the times when, if they were trying to escape the plantation, they were running barefoot and their feet and legs were always cut yeah. up. So as soon as she said that, I just, 
I immediately, it, everything just resembled slavery to me. So yeah. it was hard for me to pull this to apart. And you know what's like the fucking common thread to like capitalism? Like I'm not, I'm not being dramatic. Like literally, like what was slavery for? Capitalism. Yeah. Like it was for profit. And I was, we were walking around, right? And I saw, I don't know if y'all saw the, the poster board where they were saying like, officers and guards, you should aim to be askable. And like you want to be askable and what does it mean to be askable askable means you like people can come up to you like people incarcerated can come up to you and ask you a question uh and they're like why do you want to be askable one it improves morale two it increases productivity mm. it's like everything yeah. is just centered around productivity and like getting all the labor out of these men yeah because they definitely they grow their own food and all um, and the other prisons. Yeah, like they, <laughs> yeah. they grow the food for all the prisons in Louisiana, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's horrible. I mean, and she said that the top three things were like corn and wheat, and it was another one. Um, corn, wheat, and something else. But we all know like corn has very little nutritional value. So they're not feeding these men like good meals every day. They're feeding them kind of like scraps. Yeah. So... Going back to the air conditioning, one of the places that was air conditioning, air conditioned, was the law library. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about the men that we met there because I thought they were incredible. Yeah. And amazing, and they would literally kick anybody's ass at Stanford <laughs> Law, Yale Law, Harvard Law, like what much more intelligent and capable. Extremely confident. Yeah. Yes, in incredible. And one of the things that I like we asked them about disciplinary hearings and I thought that whole process was rather atrocious. <laughs> Do you want to give a little more details of what disciplinary hearings are in prison? Basically, the board is composed of uh, basically warden, staff, um, oh, like oh, I almost said overseers, but accurately overseers oh. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> uh, and anyone who is not a prisoner essentially. Yeah. So uh, as one of uh, Andrea, one of our colleagues, asked, you know, who, if there's any, or was it? Someone asked. Someone asked, <laughs> basically, you know, is there any, are there any prisoners who are, who are judging their peers? Basically, is there any representation on the judicial board? And that, they said no. And on top of that, uh, the cop's testimony for the in front of the disciplinary board has 100% credibility. So normally in a trial outside of prison, you have a direct examination period where the cop gives his or her testimony. Then you have a cross-examination period where the defense counsel or the prosecutor, or usually the defense counsel, uh, the defense counsel tries to pluck holes in that officer's testimony to prove that this cop you know, should not be 100% believed. Yeah, they so if they don't have that representation, then what happens, right? Yeah, and it, so disciplinary hearings, though, just to be clear, uh, so like in prison, if you break one of the prison rules, like you don't get to go to trial, you don't get a judge, like the prison can decide its own administrative process for like for when ha when someone breaks rules. And so usually what happens is like people will like lose their privileges. And so because a privilege is part of like falls under due process, that's why there is this like shitty like make-believe process set up where so like in, in your head imagine you are someone who's incarcerated right and you a guard maybe the guard doesn't like you maybe you don't respect the guard or maybe the guard thinks that you think you're high and mighty whatever prison guard writes you up for something whatever they wrote up is just 100 percent credible like and then 
that report goes be before this board, which is what Lincoln just described. And like, what is one to do? Like, what defense is there? And the men there who are working at the law library, who are basically um, lawyers, what you all know as jailhouse yeah, lawyers, they, they said, well, all we do is work on mitigation. You know, like, that's all we can do, like, mitigate the punishment that this person's going to receive. Right. And it's just like, how can this be called process? Like, this is just, this is just a lie. Exactly. But, and even, like, uh, worse than that, I know that, um, you know, they work outside in the fields. And so the officers normally, they ride horses. And on the horses, they carry shotguns. So what? The, yeah, I mean, we didn't see this, of course, but um, like Calvin told me about it and, and um, other people who have been to Angola, they said the men, you know, when they're outside working in the fields, that they're all in the line and they're doing their job. They're outside all day. And so the guards actually are on horses with shotguns. So, you know, I just I think about um, someone overheating and possibly like passing out or working slower you yeah. know the guard could easily like write him up or whatever and say he didn't do the job for the day but in reality he was like dehydrated yeah and so he would lose a privilege which could be um his wife coming to visit him or his child because he was dehydrated so it's i think sometimes um if you just make it more like down to earth you know what i mean and just like really think about the reality of the situation yeah Lincoln, you were going to say something. Uh, just to a testament of how knowledgeable these uh, inmates are who are working in the law law library, these jailhouse lawyers, two of them were released from prison and now work for the Orleans Public Defenders. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know they mentioned some of them are like in the Innocence Project, working with them. Yeah, um, the last name is Robinson. What's the first name? Is it Tony Robinson? I don't remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, they're super impressive. And I just, I just really appreciated everything they did for each other and yeah it's just like I just wish we could do more we could help more and but at the same time this is like where it's just like the law is just used to protect the people who write it you know like it's just I don't know it's no just, you're definitely right I mean and um, I'm happy that you're so like passionate about it because we are the next generation of lawyers you know what I mean so if we truly want to make a difference i mean we have to be selective and um very i don't know like focused on what area of law we really want to practice i mean yeah, yeah. so true so true let's talk a little bit we've mentioned the tour guide a couple of times yeah. and lincoln and cj i know you don't agree on yeah. um, the tour guide so just okay can y'all give a little bit of context like who is the tour guide and I think people have kind of gotten a sense of the things that she said. Okay, so I'll just describe her to you. Yeah, so <laughs> she is actually, she's black. She's a African-American woman. She's about probably in her 50s. So she's like your auntie. Okay, her hair was cute. Her, her outfit was cute. However, she wore Her sunglasses. For, yes, like she came into the prison styling while all these men who are incarcerated are literally wearing old t-shirts and old jeans. So, Lincoln, I want to hear your take. You want to hear my take? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was pretty critical of her at first. I am, I'm still critical of her. I want to put that out there. But she, what was interesting is that she seemed to, I was talking to um, one of my friends about this, and what my friend said is that she simultaneously gave the bad uh, that was associated with Angola, but then also would hype up the good. And we were trying to figure out, like, why is she, why is she portraying, you know, I... 
I thought she would just give the good or just give the bad, but I think what she was trying to do throughout the tour is to tell us, look, to the extent to which you were concerned that people are being properly punished, they are. But they're not being punished to the point where your gut would react and say, oh, this is inhumane. But I feel like she knew things that she was saying that were inhumane and like disgusting and try to play it off like, oh, haha, you're bothered by that? Yeah. Haha, yeah. like, and you're so weird. So I'm glad you said that, Cynthia, um, because I, while she was trying to toe this line, what I got from her was that there was, in a way, she was killing off herself piece by piece. And I think that's what broke my heart about Angola more than anything. Um, was I my heart absolutely felt most for the the prisoners and the cruelty that was going on there but I just really felt that it was just the death of broader humanity there yeah. um, in that the guards and the tour guide were treating these prisoners with such inhumanity and such cruelty that it also was destroying their own reality and destroying their own humanity so it, it just felt like a really depraved place the point that which that really stood out to me was when um, one of the gentlemen on the tour with us asked her, you know, how she felt about everything going on. And specifically, he was asking her how she felt about the fact that inmates uh, across Louisiana are denied grade A beef, even if they raise the cattle that is sold as grade A beef, because there's a state law that says inmates cannot have grade A beef. And so he asked her, how do you feel like that? And she's like, oh, it's a, it's a state law. Um, and he said, I know, but like, how do you feel about that? And she said, oh, I just have the keys to this place. I just work here. I sleep well at night. And then she added with kind of a tinge of bitterness, but also like resentment. She was like, I sleep comfortably at night. Um, and the way she said comfortably told me that she does not sleep comfortably. Um, and my heart kind of hurt for her too, because here you have a black woman who, whatever has led her to this spot where she is oppressed, she's participating in oppression. CJ, CJ is smiling, smiling at me right now, because I know she disagrees. Um, but there, even though she's doing an immense cruelty to others, there's still a death inside of her that broke my heart. So, I'm not gonna add much. I'm just gonna <laughs> say that everything in life is a choice. You know, people, um, some of the men who are incarcerated, you know, they made a choice and some of their choices led them there. Um, every day in life we all make choices. She makes a choice. She made a choice to apply for the job She's making a choice every single day to go to work at that job, and she's making a choice to give the tours and to try to make everything extremely lighthearted so that we will all accept it. Because I believe that the workers in Angola, they want people to feel like this is okay, like it's acceptable, like the rodeo is just like a fair. You know, you guys should want to come. It's normal, and I just feel like they are trying to normalize a lot of the things they're doing and it's definitely inhumane and I just I can't I could never sympathize for someone like that because although you know I I don't know I just can't I was gonna think of a reason but I can't because yeah. in my personal opinion um, she does not have to work there she is capable she's healthy she obviously speaks very well and she could easily get a different job if she wanted to so I think I fall, I agree with both of you. The way she would say things, right, to try to normalize it, the way she would laugh, the way she said, defend, like, I sleep comfortably, the way she said that so defensively, to me, that's her, like, coping mm -hmm. and, like, coping in order to do this job, right? Like, adjusting her worldviews, adjusting her opinions, 
so that she can get up every day and do this job so that she can go to sleep every night right because like you have to start believing this in order if, to keep doing it in order to be able to sleep so for me that's what she's done and i completely agree with you that like to do this but that's the thing like i don't feel like it's just like specific to angola which is why i don't have yeah, any definitely. more sympathy for her where i feel like all of us are constantly giving like like losing our humanity like when we see like so many people this happens to me all the time where i'll be with someone in the car and there'll be someone who's like um who's experiencing homelessness asking for change and someone will be like nope you know they must have like they must have done something they can work like why i don't know why they're they're here they shouldn't be asking for money and i'm just like that for me is like also when we start losing our humanity no you're 100 right you know yeah. and so it's just like but like the st that's why like when people like ask me whoa like well, nobody nobody's really asking me when i volunteer the information that i think the only solution <laughs> is a revolution and land redistribution <laughs> when <laughs> like i try to explain to people it's just like the world as is is just so inhumane yeah. and all this that we put up with and that we normalize day in and day out is so violent on us and the people experiencing it like so i completely agree with you there but i also agree like with cj where it's like I, I agree with you in that we like have to not be complicit and we have that responsibility but i also like disagree with you in the sense that like usually i don't think like when she was little she was like i want to be like a high up at the prison you know like i'm I, sure but but now she now this is where she is in life and someone told me earlier they said that they felt like she was in the sunken place <laughs> and so i think that that's very true because um i think that she's at a stage now and her probably in her life and maybe just mentally and emotionally where it might it does not affect her and i, and I do think like there came a point where she had the responsibility to choose something different yeah. or to be able to switch out but i do think like for example there's the um this the supermax prison in virginia state um red onion prison there like the location where the prison is is super rural like in like angola but like i think even more so and so most of the prison guards there resemble the inmates and in that they're like low education don't have a lot of opportunities like for other employment and so because the prison's there that's where they end up getting employed and uh, so yeah i i don't know i think like they're real I mean, definitely, like, I, I mean, realistically, you're right. Like, most of the people who work at prisons and jails, I'm sure they live locally, and that's the, you know, that could be the job that is, you know, just most convenient for them to get. However, it is 2018. Like, I feel like we have to stop making excuses for one another. You know, just like how we are taking responsibility for our actions, and we are all choosing a certain path to go down, I feel like everyone can choose i just think that in society we make way too many excuses for each other so i personally i have an aunt who works at a prison in virginia and i feel bad because like i've never actually asked her much about it um but i still feel like even though she's my auntie like she's still making a choice to work there so yeah i don't know i just feel like we have to stop giving each other excuses I agree. I agree with like we have to hold each other accountable. But I think like for me, it's like yes, I'm gonna hold you accountable by saying like what you're doing is not okay. But like my solution, my ideal world would be a world in which you also got enough resources, of like course, where like definitely. this world should just look definitely. different, where yeah. you don't have to compromise your humanity no, for I a paycheck. No, I completely agree. But I also feel like if one by one, if people start quitting, 
Yeah, I mean, but the. So, I mean, I'm just saying, one by one, little by little, if people no, start organize with, them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. but see, the thing for that is like you have to. We say we organize them, then we have to find other jobs for them. So, but it's that's well, if we can, we should. Yeah, I, with our free time, we definitely not, not our free time. These white friends, white allies, where hey. are you? Hey, <laughs> we have a job for you. <laughs> Quit TFA and start this organization. Quit TFA. Um, a little anecdote. Yes, two days ago I got to the office. It's like I got I rolled in a little late, nine thirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming in. I'm like, dang, Every I'm tired. Day. I'm so like, I'm just happy to be here today. I'm just happy to you know have gone out of bed. I'm like, Cynthia, how are you? Good morning. She's like, we need land redistribution. Like, I'm like, Cynthia, it is 9.30. You are all one right now. She's like, we're over here talking about fair wages, minimum wage. She's like, no, that's small-minded talk. We need land yes, redistribution. Cynthia, so yes, Cynthia, yes. I just want y'all to know that your podcast leader is on one, 25-8, out here advocating for the marginalized and out here fighting for liberation. So, I do remember that day. Thanks for sharing that link and actually posted on Instagram about it. So, yes, I was... I just, I don't, I think it's because I was reading some Mexican literature the night before, so woke up feeling a little revolutionary. Wait, Lincoln, before we close yeah. talk and stop talking about the tour guide, was there a quote you wanted to share? Yeah, so it's actually how I was, is what I was thinking. So I hear both of you, you guys, it's like, it's something I think about and struggle with as, you know, wanting to be a public defender because I think, in my opinion, no one should see comfortably, comf comfortably in exactly. this Exactly. Um, Yes. Like the mere fact of us being public defenders legitimizes a system that sends people to Angola. Um, something that kind of bothered me and bothers me is like when judges come and act like they are some neutral arbitrator um, and that they have no say in sending people to Angola. Like, oh, the jury decide or oh, this is what the state mandates. Mm -hmm. We're all complicit in the system. And I think I try and recognize that and then say, OK, how am I how should I be pushing myself to not be comfortable in my job? Yeah. Um, and anyway, the quote that I, it's one of my favorite, it's, it is my favorite quote in literature. It's from Toni Morrison in Beloved, but she says, white people believed that whatever the manners under every dark skin was a jungle, swift, unnavigable waters, swinging, screaming baboons, sleeping snakes, red gums ready for their sweet white blood. In a way, he thought, talking about the protagonist, they were right. But it wasn't the jungle blacks brought with them to this place from the other livable place. It was a jungle white folks planted in them, and it grew. It spread. In, through, and after life, it spread until it invaded the whites who had made it, touched them every everyone, changed and altered them, made them bloody, silly, worse than even they wanted to be, so scared that were they of the jungle they had made. The screaming baboon lived under their own white skin. The red gums were, were their own. The reason I like this quote is I don't read it to, you know, let white people off the hook, like white supremacy is real, you know, whites caused slavery, it was not a choice, sorry, Kanye. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kanye, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think Morrison gets at the nuances here, uh, and that's what I saw in the prison yesterday, is that these people came, and in the eyes of society, these people being the inmates, um, arrived in Angola, and in the eyes of society, in the eyes of the guards, they were uncivilized, irredeemable, um, and awful people and you know when you go to the museum you see the weapons that these inmates have made you have rampant violence in the in the in the jail and so you would think if you're you know as an outsider you'd be like oh I'm so glad we got these dangerous people out of that space out of you know the, the main society 
Um, but really, it's caused by the, the guards. It's, it's caused by the cruelty and the depravity that these prisoners are subjected to. And so my heart broke for those prisoners. And I definitely hold the guards accountable. I hold us accountable as taxpayers. I hold judges accountable, prosecutors accountable. Um, yes, P prosecutors. <laughs> um, PDs accountable. Like we are all complicit in this in this system um, that is causing so much suffering to these, you know, these black and brown bodies. But at the same time, I think we have to also recognize that we're all losing in this system. Yeah, we are. Um, and I think especially for allies, when we think about, you know, it's the suffering is not one directional. Like in being complicit in white supremacy, being complicit in the marginalization of these bodies and this pain and suffering, you are also dying. And that's yeah. what that's what stood out to me from all these guards. It's how I think about cops, it's how I think about ICE officers. Yeah. None of these people are innocent. These are all people that need to be held accountable for the, the cruelty they're causing. But there's also something sad as just a human seeing people shut down their own humanity. Definitely. Lincoln, you literally are bringing tears to my eyes because I completely agree with everything that you're saying. I think for me, I don't, I'm not religious at all. I think I am spiritual, but I found myself praying yesterday mm. at Angola a lot. And I just like, I would walk through these different places through these like, cause they showed us where they used to hold men and like the people that were being punished at, like further punished at Angola and like where they were executed, the chair they were executed in, mm. like where they were injected, like where they were hung. And I just like kept like praying, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I hope you're at peace. Like, I'm so sorry. I hope you're at peace. It's just like everything you're saying is like yes we just need to heal and like i'm not i don't talk about revolution because i want more violence no i think as revolution as a way to like as a healing because i think you're completely right we just we need a lot of healing we are a broken society yeah. we've been broken for a very long time yeah well i thank you both for sharing so much and being here with us i this has been great and it has really helped me process everything that we witnessed yesterday so definitely any anything y'all want to say before we close tune in next time tune in next time and just love yourself and love others let's end there